So right now, every member of the current city council is in touch with every community in the city because they each represent the entire town. Everybody at that council represents the entire city of Napa. Now they're going to be representing 20,000 people, except for the mayor who will be elected citywide. And while I trust this council to be thinking about the entire community and the good of the entire community of the city, I think it's just inevitable that um, they will know that it's people in their district who get them elected and who can throw them out of office. So I think it's inevitable that districts will wind up in competition for resources and attention, for funding, for parks, for improvements, for garbage service. I mean, these are the things that, that happen in, in larger towns with districts. And while I don't expect our city council members to turn into a bunch of hacks or ward healers, as we call them in Chicago, politicians don't survive unless people they serve vote them in. So I do understand why Napa feels it has no choice, uh, but we need to be talking about some of the more negative fallout that is going to come along with district elections. And maybe it's this upcoming series of public meetings where we can air that out. Now, uh, to my guest, like anyone, um, like anyone uh, on the radio, I'm always eager to get um, candidates into the studio. And one of them, uh, one of the nice things about the format that we have is uh, that we can chat with them in a more in-depth way and maybe get around some of the canned political messages, some of the spin. So on today's program, I mean, spin's important. Canned messages are important, as I'm sure my guest will tell you. But um, today's program, we're going to talk to Bernie Narvaez, who's no stranger to KVON. Um, he knows where the coffee pot is, so I didn't have to show him around, uh, about his personal story and his campaign for the city council. Um, I suppose you could ply, apply a lot of titles to Bernie. He's an Iraq war vet, a local business owner, a husband, a dad, community activist, a youth mentor. Bernie, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you just fine. Perfect. Well, it's a pleasure to be here, and thank you for having me, and good morning, Napa. Bernie, let's, uh, I'm very interested, as I've gotten to know you over the last couple of years, uh, in your personal story, because I think it says so much about our community and what kind of a, a community of opportunity and challenge Napa really is. So let's start at the beginning. Where did you, where'd you grow up? So my family and I came here when I was really young from Mexico, a state called Sinaloa. It's a beautiful city called Mazatlan. Uh, at the time, well, I gotta go back a little bit, just tell you about my dad, because that's really where it started. My dad was, uh, in Mexico, was a merchant marine. So he studied his whole life for it. He became a, a captain in, in, in that local area, and we, we actually grew up in ships and traveled quite a bit. You grew up uh, on ships. Yeah, well, we spent a lot of time on there. It was the cargo or passenger or ferries. To be with your dad. Yeah. So, and I remember, and just a personal story. Yeah. We were in uh, the middle of the night. The whole family was traveling on the ship, and it caught fire. So The engine. Yeah. And you're out in the middle of the water. In the middle of nowhere. And I, I was young, but still remember quite a bit of it. Uh, we all made it out. We had to get on, the, on those rafts and with tides going up and down, really. That's why I do remember the ship going up and down the little, the little raft. 
and being out in the ocean, in the middle ocean for a while until we saw a ship come by. And so you bailed up. out and, yeah. and got into a life raft. Yeah. All of you, everybody All on the ship. My dad stayed back. He was actually either first or second lieutenant. And um, I didn't see him for a few days. And back then, you know, you don't have social media or any way to communicate. So you must so, have been quite worried. Yeah. He must have you been know, quite worried about you guys. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so it's just one of those. I won't say necessarily a fond memory, but it's a memory that always sticks out when I think about my hometown. Because How do you forget of, that? You know, and um, so that industry took a dive. and Merchant Marine. Yeah. yeah. It, you know, you could say it was political reasons, economic reasons, whatever the case may be. Uh, we tried, my, my, my parents tried different things, you know, from being a business owner to commercial fishing. It just, it didn't work. So like many other immigrants around the world, you know, we looked at, the U.S. is the beacon of hope and freedom, and you know. And so we, we, my, my parents, my dad started over. Parents came over. Did you and, have any connection here, family? Here? Uh, we had, yeah, we had uh, an aunt that, that lived here, a couple. And where was your first stop? In Sonoma. In Sonoma, okay. In Sonoma. So we did, we came. We didn't have a place to live. We couch surfed for a while. I remember, you know, staying with cousins and in living rooms and just moving around till we found the little shack. It's probably, you know, uh, the studio plus maybe it's times two. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it, looking back now, I can see it was very bad living conditions, but that's all that, that there was. You had a couple, couple hundred was, square feet or something. Uh, yeah. yeah. And, but there was a lot of love in the family. You know, I didn't know that as a kid. You know, my parents sacrificed and, and dad, my parents started over from farm working to dishwashing to labor intensive jobs until they were able to to move up. And that's that that growing up looking at that, you know, it's really embeds inside me being grateful for for the opportunities here. Yeah. I mean, we're not perfect. You know, our country's not perfect. But the, the, the foundation of that opportunity is what drives me and what what really helps me want to, you know, uh, be, you know, uh, help others to achieve that. Well, like a lot of Americans after September 11th, you felt called to service. You joined the Marines. I did. You served in Iraq. I did. Tell me what that experience was like. You know, it's like, I think we all know where, where we were that day, right? Those were the, I remember uh, very clearly. Yeah. And for me, it's like, you know, this country gave us the opportunity to to start over and, and get somewhere. At the time, we were living in affordable housing. Right? We, we, we used, you know, the, the, the opportunities that community gave us to be able to go from homelessness to, to unsafe living conditions to safe home. Can I ask you about that? Sure. Uh, is, because as I've talked about on the show before, and, you know, when we talk about the homeless or we talk about the victims of gun violence, we tend to take the humanity out of that discussion. We tend to take their names we're talking about people, human yeah. beings. So I think the same thing's true when we talk about like workforce housing or affordable housing. What was it like in when you finally got into a, a stable kind of home situation? Describe that. Describe that apartment. Well, it was a game changer, you know, because you have uh, the stress is, is less stress. You know, you, you, you're, my parents were able to to feel comfortable with, with providing a safe place for kids for us to to grow up in. We, we have consistency going to school, um, being able to have a point, a place to call home, right? Mm-hmm. There's, there's housing and there's, home. there's a home. Mm-hmm. And this was your first home. This is our first home. Yeah. And was it, was it, um, 
how big was it? What, two couple uh, bedrooms? It, it was um, a duplex. It was okay. And it was uh, it's an apartment complex, but this one was you know we had uh, another uh, apartment next next door, but it was two story, three bedrooms. Downstairs was a kitchen, a, a room, a bath, uh, half a bathroom. Upstairs was two bedrooms and the, the full bathroom. So it must have been a real game changer from, from the shack that you were talking about oh, yeah. a minute ago. All right, so I want to get back to um, Iraq. So you you enlisted the Marines. You're how old? I was 18, mm-hmm. a month after I turned 18. I, I was going to do it at 17. But I thought to myself, well, at 17, I have to have my parents' permission. And... They probably weren't that keen on seeing you leave the family. They didn't like the idea, but they were very supportive. Yeah. Uh, but what what I d- didn't like is for them to have to sign something. Had something happened to me, um, I, I couldn't lie, I couldn't yeah. let that happen. So I waited a month after I was eighteen, got the blessing, and I enlisted while I was still in high school. Mm-hmm. And so where did you go? You left. You were still living in Sonoma at this point. Yeah. So we left. I, so boot camp was of MCRD San Diego. Uh, I. When as reservists and active duty, so switched uh, initially as a reservist, and then we got activated. Uh, well, actually, my first training was in Japan. We it was I was nineteen, and after a month after reporting to my station, it's like we're going to Japan. So you had been exactly in two countries at this point, yeah. in your life, exactly. Right, and it was it was great to see a country where you're not familiar at all. Well. I was going to say not familiar with the language, but it happened to me when I was when I came here. Mm-hmm. But I had, I felt all lower again, mm-hmm. and it was a you know the, the it was not the same alf, you know the alphabet everything that everything's different. Yeah, right? the culture is stu- very different. That's part of what I love about Japan. I've been there a few times, and it, it's just because everything is so different, and uh, the culture is just so uh, distinctive. So many things are are different, but in a good way. Right, you know, and I've traveled to other places, and I've gone to Italy and France, and I can kind of make out some of the the right. words. But in Japan, and I'm, I'm sure in other parts of Asia, it's it's it'll be the same feeling where you just feel so such a stranger. Um, it was a pleasure because I got to climb Mount Fuji. Oh wow! You know, so the, there was some a lot of positive outcomes being in the in the Marine Corps because I got to travel in places I never thought I'd be. Be able to so go. you're in Japan. You're at this point, what, 18, 19? 19. 19. Uh, how do you get to from there to Iraq? So Iraq, um, my, the unit I was uh, stationed with was, uh, I remember they were part of the invasion of Iraq in mm. 2003. I remember, well, I actually had already enlisted. I was turning 18, and they, were, they had just passed Anna Zari. I remember that because I made a connection of where I was when they crossed over because when I joined my, my, my unit, those Marines were just coming back. And, and they, they were, were the original yeah. forces there. Yeah, because they joined uh, the 1st Marine Division to to go up north from Kuwait and push north into, I, I, I don't think my unit got as far as Baghdad. Some, uh, some, of, some of them did. But later on, we, we uh, got activated and went to uh, Kuwait. Well, we would go through Europe, then Kuwait, and then uh, Iraq. And you're there how long? Uh, we were there six months. It got shut. It got cut short because we were the last large infantry unit to co- to go in. Our job was to transition power, to train and transition power. Uh, one of the highlights of that deployment was 
protecting the women that were joining the workforce. Yeah, I, th I think I read that or trying to get an education. That, you know, you, you have a vision of what Marines do and, and you see the news. You, you don't see the other side of it. I mean, the, we, 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 hearts and mind, win the hearts and mind, right? And it's not just at the point of a gun. No, no. I mean, we, we created areas of, of safety for people that wanted freedom, you know, women that wanted to learn how, how do you get into a workforce? Mm -hmm. We protected universities for young, young people to go study safely. Wow. I mean, those are the things that I take away and say, you know what? I hope they got a, a sense of freedom that I got when we came to this country, mm -hmm. the opportunity mm -hmm. that other people care because we wouldn't have been successful um, finding housing and, and, and being uh, getting out of poverty without other people's help. Right. So you come back, you, you do your, you do your tour, you come, you do one tour, right? Yeah. One you tour. come back, you're at this point, 20, 21, something like that. Um, ooh. What? Yeah. Oh. 22. 22. 22. Okay. Yeah. What do you do next? So I started my own business. My dad, Pop, my pop, I yeah. met Pop, my pop. Yeah. So he's been in the insurance industry since the nineties. Um, you know, that's that. That was his way to get the the labor intensive jobs that was that he's done. You know, he 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 had to take an exam when English was not his first language, and I just remember the struggle. You know how hard he had to work, and um, you know do a couple of jobs and then study and take the test. Yeah. And the discrimination he faced by coworkers say, are you really going to do this? Is this really what, what you want to do? Are you sure? You know, I don't think you can do this. I mean, this is stuff that happened. Probably egged him on, you know, Probably managers. Prove yeah. Him wrong. Oh yeah. You know, so he's always been a mentor for me, a role model. Uh, you know, I, I always kind of compare where I am with what he's done. So, okay, I'm not where I should be. A benchmark. You know? He's like, yeah, he's benchmark. my benchmark. And he's still yeah. and he's still with you, which you're oh, really yeah. lucky. Oh yeah, we work to have. every day. It's, yeah. it's such a, a joy. Uh, so we he his he was working for an agency. Got bought out by a company down in South Southern California, and the transition was transition was not well. So he was worried. So I was like, well, I don't have. I'm looking for something, and you know, okay, I could go to school, but at 22, we had an opportunity to start a business and saw an opportunity in our community. And the insurance. So you're field. in Napa at this point. Yes. Okay. You've come over here. You've come over the hill. Well, my, and I'll tell you about my wife, Gabby. I was going to ask you. Yeah. She's born and raised here. Her parents were from Batsimaro and Mexico, and she was born at the Queen of Valley. And I, you know, I met her here in Napa through my cousin's quinceañera. So we, we met when we were really young. Mm -hmm. uh, but going forward, when we started business, you know, we started inside a closet, inside an, a discount store in front of La Morenita Market. Mm -hmm. uh, that's which is in, across the street from the high school, so uh, Napa High. Yeah, and again, it was actually smaller than the studio. Our we were shoulder to shoulder, two desks, and you know, it was like this is how we start. Yeah, this right? is. A, I had a. Uh, I started a business. I was a little older than you, and um, basically, we had one desk that we shared. My partner and I love it. And the room was maybe a little bigger than this. It was in a really crappy neighborhood in San Francisco that is now very shishi and expensive uh, south of Market, but. You know, we would have our we would have the windows busted out on a regular basis. You know, come to work, step over glass. So, oh, you know, you, you do that when you're when you're starting out, right? If you really believe in yourself. So, fortunately, we didn't have our windows broken like that, but it was very humble beginnings, and it's something that we're we were used to. You know, we're it's we've done this before. Let's, let's, let's do it now. We're in a larger space, 
you know, we're in a good place. And I'm really, I take a lot of pride in my business and the people that we serve. You know, it, it, it is a for-profit business, but it has a, almost has a sense of a nonprofit service too, because wanted, of the people we serve. I wanted to ask you about that. Cause you and I have talked about this before the show that it's, it is more of a, than a, just a, a transactional business in, in the Latino community in Napa that you've got, it's almost like a hub of a lot of other activity as well. So talk to me about that. So we serve, when we started, we served, it's a hundred percent Latinx community. Farm workers, people from those you know, restaurants and hotels, and and people just came that have came to the U.S. the same way you know my my family came, and it's always been a safe place. Uh, in California, you you can drive, uh, you have to have a driver's license, but the insurance companies will still insure you if you don't have one. Uh, as odd as that may sound, um, there are people that are working that don't can't at one point could not get a driver's license. Uh, so no that's license, our undocumented no community, right? No license, no insurance, right? But that's that changed, and we have we were able to, even though we couldn't help with license, we can say we, we didn't say you can legally drive. We just knew people were doing it, but uh, we were able to educate and say this is how insurance works. You Register need it. vehicle, you need it, yeah, right? Because if you get an ac- you get an accident, you panic, you you take off. Or right. you got to pay cash for, you know, I mean, just, who has that kind of money? No good can come out. Yeah, right. Exactly. Right. So at least if, if, if they hurt, if they cause property damage or hurt somebody, they, they're financially uh, responsible for it and they have what means to do it to, to protect the public. Mm-hmm. So that, that's what we've done. And, you know, oftentimes we, we have people that bring somebody that just came here. Right. And we don't get into the politics and stuff. We just say, hey, look, welcome. Welcome to the community. This is this is here's your insurance before our service. But then we say, you know, these are the resources. This is who you should know. This is who this you is how it meet. works. This is how it you works. Know, here. Right. Yeah. You know, because there's a lot of misconception. The the, the 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 trust in government and Latinx community and, and other minorities is it's not always very high. Right? No. And I think it's pretty low at this point. Right. So I've I've being grateful to be in the opportunity in a, in a position where I can kind of improve that. You know, uh, a few years ago, a, uh, AB 60 came out mm-hmm. where you didn't have need a social to get a driver's license, but people were still hesitant to get a driver's license because they thought it would kind of get them on the radar of the government. Yeah. yeah. Which now is the case, but that's a, that's not the state of California. Yeah. And that adds to that. Hey, the fear of the government, and you said you have 4,000 clients? We have, yeah. I mean, I'll count it one time. It, was four th- it, it moves That's up amazing. and down, right? Yeah. Because there's seasonal workers. But, yeah, I mean, we have a lot of people. Um, what's helped is technology. It's easier to manage with technology, uh, you know, uh, automating things. So, uh, But a lot of people, it's, it's a lot of walking traffic, right? Yeah. Some people want, want to come in and see a person and, and talk and, and also you know, ask for advice. Get a good plate of barbecue next door. Yeah. yeah. We do DMV services too. Okay. Yeah. So we're a DMV partner. So you can get your plates and tags and it goes hand in hand, you know, with insurance. People don't have to go DMV. So you're saying you have, you offer people a a respite from having to wait in a long line at the DMV. They have a choice. They can come over to your place. Yep. That's pretty great. You don't have to be a member or be a client. We're going to uh, take a short break. Uh, My guest is Bernie Narvaez. This is the deep dive show and I'm Larry Kamer.
back to the Deep Dive program. I'm Larry Kamer with an in-depth discussion on the issues facing Napa and the wine country, and hopefully stories that you'll hear uh, here that you might not hear anywhere else. Uh, you can always catch our past episodes on the website at kvon.com, and we'd love to continue the conversation with you during the week. Between programs, uh, you can hit us up on Twitter and Instagram at Deep Dive Show, uh, and if you wouldn't mind, uh, go to Facebook and like us on our Facebook page. Uh, I'm continuing my conversation with Bernie Narvaez, who uh, is a candidate for Napa City Council, but I think wears an awful lot of other hats, which is why I think he's got such, a, such an incredibly interesting uh, life story. So you and I were talking before the break about um, the challenges of getting into a house when you and Gabby got married. Right. And then now that you're a parent of two young daughters, you're looking at the challenges of childcare. So talk to me a little bit about what that's like in Napa in 2020. Well, right now, I mean, it's a constant di discussion with my wife, Gabby and I about our children, you know, uh, Jasmine's two and my youngest Dahlia is one year old. And, it, my my wife is working part time, and she's thinking about you know we're missing we're missing out on spending more time with with the kids, and but also she wants to be able to work more you know she, and um, the challenges I hear from other families is you know the cost of childcare it's immense you know it's not just the cost of housing or the cost of the high living costs in Napa Valley for young families, families that are, that are growing, that have kids. And we try to figure out, do I go full-time and be able to pay for childcare? Basically, it washes out. It doesn't make sense. This is, this is what Gabby's thinking about Yeah, now. that's what yeah. we've, you know, our kitchen table, we mm -hmm. talk about this. Yeah. We talk about our future. We made a commitment to live in Napa. You know, before we had kids, we before I actually went overseas, we were renting an apartment in North Napa, and it was very expensive. So I was, you know, we, we were able to terminate that contract because I was going overseas. She moved in with her parents. When I came back, we thought, okay, what are we going to do now? Buy a home? We know at some point we want to buy a home. We want to start a family. Okay, but if we rent, there goes, you know, it's, it's very hard to be able to, to save and pay rent at the same time right. with the high cost. So we moved back in. We, we actually lived in a converted garage with multiple families so we could save money. Right. So to me, it was I've done it before when I was younger. It wasn't very unusual for it didn't feel unusual for me. But you had to you had to overcome a challenge of that, you know, a lot of us do at that age, buying our first house. The down payment is a big challenge. Um, when we bought our first house in the mid 80s, you know, you had to come up with 20 percent down and then uh, you got to make the payments. Right. So so tell me how you made that work. So I wasn't a unique situation as a veteran so there are uh, the VA loan which is very uh, uh, favorable to new new buyers you know there's benefits that other people don't have so because I was able to get that that kind of loan I thought to myself what well let me back up a little bit because yeah. before that we had we had um, qualified for for a loan and, and to buy a home but but we didn't qualify for down payment assistance in Napa and before that, we did qualify for down payment assistance, but it wasn't enough purchasing power to buy in Napa. So now it's like, do we leave this community? You know, that, 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 was, a, that was a firm no. This is where we want to be. We have to figure out a way. So we just have to keep working, saving, putting, getting in a position to where we can do it. 
you know, but it's getting harder and harder to do. Right. Um, in my business, you know, I insure renters and homeowners. And I'm seeing renters that are buying homes outside of Napa more than in Napa. And these are young families. Right. You know, kids that, that would, would have gone to school in our dist- in a school district here in Napa are leaving to other to other school districts. Well, you're 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 creating a nice segue into um, a more political conversation, which is certainly something I'm, I'm interested in asking you about. Um, you know, I've, uh, as I said, I've worked in politics for a long time and uh, don't consider the term political hack to be an insult. So <laughs> as a political hack, I'll ask you the question um, I always ask people who are running for office, the two questions. The first is, why should people vote for you? And the second is, what are you going to do if you get the job? You know, I love this community, and I've seen things that we need to improve on. We need to change some things, and I've seen it all. I'm in front of it every single day. I'm seeing the struggle of our working families. I'm seeing the struggle of our small business community. I'm seeing our young families struggling to to stay in Napa. I mean, we're really at a point where our, our, our um, quality of life is diminishing because we're stuck in traffic. Mm-hmm. We have our housing crisis that's preventing our, our workers from living here. And our small business community is struggling to hire and to stay open. We've seen some businesses already close and we can't continue to go down this path. Right. So and it's been real, right? People have seen Valerga's Red Hen. Yeah. Some family drug. Family drug. Right. You know, so so it's a real thing. It's not a theoretical thing. That, no. You know, and, and these issues are tied up. The issue of housing, um, the health of local businesses, work, you know, jobs, especially for, um, people who support hospitality, agriculture, you know, the kind of the underpinnings of our economy up here, uh, they're all interrelated, right? It is. We're, we're all connected. I mean, if, if our workers are living outside, that's our tax base too. So if we, if we look at it from that, from that route, that tax burns start, you know, gets shifted to the people that have been here for a long time, maybe the older community, the, the ones of the multi-generation family that, that have, uh, you know, are, are secure in Napa. Right. But what, you know, if we're paying services, you know, for police and fire and city services, but our tax base is leaving because it's more affordable to live somewhere else. Right. I mean, we've already raised one percent on our tourism tax, our property taxes. It's, it's, that's we're not going to change that. Right. The, the next thing is sales tax. Right. And that's going to hurt a small business community. So it's better for us to find a way to bring our, our workers back into our community, bring their purchasing power because they're earning their, their payroll here. So right? They're earning wages in Napa, but they're spending it in other communities. Right. They're spending some, it in, some of it here, right. but mainly somewhere else because they're supporting their community, their neighborhood. They may be buying lunch and gas here, but you want them to like build a family and right. Right. And not have to travel in from Santa Rosa, Vallejo, Lake County on our on our very wide super highways that we have in and out of Napa County, right? Which, right. I mean, we don't want to be stuck in traffic. So so we want to, we have to change the, the, the path a little bit. So um, fast forward, it's election day. You've been elected. You're going to go to work on the city council. What, do you, what are your priorities? What are you going to do? So Measure F was passed in the last election, which created a 1% in uh, tourism tax for workforce housing. Reading that, that ordinance, it says workforce housing programs and services. Programs and services is very important because we have we have a high cost of living here. Right. And that's really affecting the workforce. So it's not just housing, but what else is really causing a high cost for, for our working families, our young families? Going back to child care, how can we 
use those funds to to help workers or working families be more attracted to Napa. Yeah, we I, uh, when we were when my wife and I were starting out, you know, I used to joke that people would say you got to start saving for college for these kids, but what they didn't tell me was you got to start saving for nursery school. Yeah, I mean, it's way way before they're in college that you're going to need access, you know, some pretty significant funds. Yeah, you know, I. People had mentioned that, and you don't really take it serious until you're like, oh, oh wow. Yeah. You're right. It is, uh, it is tough. The other thing is is housing. How do we make housing more attainable? How do we make it easier for families that, like Gabby and I, when we, we went through it, right. not to struggle and actually make a decision between that and outside the community? Because other other families are, are not going to look to be as involved as Gabby and I are in our community, and it can easily leave in the half. Left. And I'm sure we've lost a lot of them to Fairfield and Rio Vista yeah. and, you know, Vallejo and, and other slightly more affordable places. Yeah. I mean, there's lots where people are purchasing build up homes. I know several people have done that and, and they're going to move out of Napa County and go live over there in the, within the next year. Yeah. Amazing. Um, so one of the things you also talk about is El Futuro de Napa. Tell me about that. So, you know. We live in a very diverse community. And you mentioned before that our representation hasn't always reflect our community. It's about serving everybody, right? But there has been an underserved segment of our population. That's our Latinx community. El futuro de Napa for me means everybody. We're representing everybody. And there's people that don't feel represented. And I've been able to, cro to cross cultural barriers. And, I've, and I made a point to do that because we live in a very special place, and I, I don't want to say I'm going to serve just one community, but I want I want everybody to 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 work together to understand how our differences actually improve our communities, how our cultures improve our, our quality of life. Do you think that the that we think enough about the future here? Do you think that's reflected in our you know kind of the public policy agenda or the political agenda that you see at the council or at the board of soups? I think that um, there's a lot of pressure where they've started to think about it, but we should have been doing this 20 years ago. Right, right. You know, I'm thinking in 20 years, you know, I'm in the general plan uh, uh, advisory committee, and we're thinking for the next 20 years. You know, when my daughters, when your children become adults and they're looking to buy a home or be part of a community, it's really hard for them to, or in the parents to think and envision the children living in Napa. It is not a realistic thing right now. They can't that, afford it. They can't afford it. How, are you, how can we make that happen? I'm thinking about, you know, this my, my campaign. I'm thinking about next year. I'm thinking about 20 years from now. What do we do now to set the tone, to go in the right direction? So earlier we were talking about uh, district elections, and I wanted to get your views. You know, this is a... This is a very dynamic subject It changes, you know, and it's moving very fast. So what, what's your take? Uh, where, where are you right now on the subject of district elections? Well, it's going to go into district elections. So Whether that, it's going to happen. You agree with me. That train's leaving the that, station. It, it is. Or has it left is. the station. You know, we were at the city council. Stay there a little, little later, and, and, you know, they voted to move forward. So now what's going to happen in the very, very tight window, they're going to have public meetings, right? They're, they're, there's a legal sequence they have to follow, or else they'll open up for litigation or, or a, a, an election that may not be uh, credible, right? That can be challenged. So they mm -hmm. have to follow these guidelines. So by, by the end of April, they have to enact, they have to have a map 
with the districts, and then that's the district you live in. That's the districts you can vote for. Yeah, vote that's like in. two. That's like two months away. Very time. So there has to be very aggressive PR for our community. I mean, people don't still don't know June third. I mean, sorry, March third is the selection for for supervisors and above. Right. Some people came like, hey, you're not in the ballot. It's like, no, I'm I'm in November. So there, even with with things we've done for years, people still get confused, right? Because they're living their everyday life. Right. Something like this can fly under the radar very, very Right. Those of us in politics think it's the most important thing in the world. But most people, you know, you're trying to get your kid to school or soccer or, you know, get your car fixed. You know, politics. Feed your kids and then go off to your second job. Yeah. And politics is not necessarily top of mind. I mean, you and I have, you know, defective DNA. That's why we're intrigued. (laughs) That's why we're intrigued by it. But... That's yeah. way to put it. But you're right. I mean, most people, um, they think about it when they have to think about it. Right. And sometimes that may be too late or towards right. the end when a lot of decisions have already been made. Right. Um, and you asked me what, what I would do once yeah. I'm elected. And it, it's not just the issues. It's the process of your decision making. It's, it's, it's being uh, transparent. It's being available and listening to people. And making sure that I'm reaching to different groups of their their stakeholders. Yeah, right? the the issues can change if we overcome and, and certain the issues that we have now. Others will arise. What process do you take with a new issue? So and right I, now you are you know your campaign as it was last time is citywide. You're having to visit every community because you would be you before district elections would be representing the entire city of Napa, right. just like the mayor, just like anybody else on the council. That's right. Uh, pretty soon you're going to find out what district you're in. Um, how's that going to change? And how do you, how do you handle the, what I was talking about earlier, you know, that pressure to be there for your district versus the, the kind of citywide view that council members have, have now? Well, you're going to have to work with, with the cards you're dealt with, right? That's kind of how I've always been in my, my life. And you have to look at the bigger picture and you also have to look at your neighborhood because that's, that's the lines you were given, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, if, even if you're you're elected in Napa, you still serve on regional boards, things that, that you go, you know, uh, whether it's traffic, whether it's water, you know, things that you have to fight for your community. Right. So same with the district. You still have to work citywide, work together to, for the benefit of your district and the benefit of the city. But if you don't help those 20,000 people, you're out. That's right. I mean, if they don't think you're doing a good job, out you go. Yeah. So it could be easier for, for, for people to, to run the smaller district, but also harder to keep that job, too. So so there's pros and cons. Um, whatever, how, however those lines are drawn. I mean, I may not even have an opportunity to run. That's, a real, that's something that could happen. Right. Because we don't know how those lines are going to be drawn. They throw you into a district with an, an incumbent or right. with another candidate. Yeah. So um, one of the, you know, the, what struck me by the letter that, um, you know, that kind of threatened the city with a lawsuit unless it moved to district elections, which people can find on the on the Napa City website, is that it it claims to do this in the name of the Latinx community and for Latinx representation. But you and I have talked about how much that's really, you know, how how much conversation actually happened in that community before this letter came out and whether the letter was presuming to speak for people that it wasn't really speaking for. Well, I'm glad you asked that question. 
first and foremost, it's now at this point, it's about having fair and equal representation of our community, making making sure that um, we're, we're going to represent everybody, right? Um, so districts can be good in that sense. The process of how this came up, uh, I think, bothered a lot of people. And in city council, it, it was it was made clear that only one member of the Latino community was, Latinx community was notified. Hmm. And I read the letter, and I think it was over 60 times that mentioned the uh, Latinx community. And hmm. I called around and asked people, hey, did you know about this? It was flying under the radar. They were using our, my community as a way to, to throw the, you know, pushes into city council. Mm-hmm. I mean, I understand the benefits. Districts and elections can be really good for a community. But it'd be nice right? if somebody talked be, to that community. It'd be nice to, to be part of that conversation where you're using our, our community uh, for, for your benefit. Right. And yeah. do you do you think that was a wake up call? Do you think that the, absolutely that there's more like if you're going to speak in the in the name of the Latinx community that you might want to actually involve that community in this process? Absolutely. You know, the thing is, is if 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 I'm going to use a group or a label or something, you might want to get their permission or you might want to get their their blessing or or or, you know, their their take on things, right? Their input, even just their just input. I mean, you may not be able to take it all and use it, but you've there's no the gesture. Consent. Yes, there's no consent from the large. You know, and one one member of our Latinx community doesn't represent everybody. We're just as diverse right. as any segment of the population. How, however, you you divide Napa and 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 our world and anywhere else, there's diversity within our diverse communities. But if you get elected to the city council, uh, you would be the only Latinx member of the council. Um, does that give you additional obligations, responsibilities beyond just serving your district, but speaking as a a representative or an advocate for that larger community. Absolutely. You know, I would, I would love to be that role model where a young, you know, uh, young girl or, or boy look, looks up and sees someone that looks like them, that speaks like them and says, you know what, I can, that's something I can do. I mean, mm-hmm. hopefully I can inspire others to, to follow that because it hasn't always been the case in our community. Right. It's been, you know, go school, go doctors, lawyers, go to do nonprofit, you know, things like that. Um, and to get people to run for office, you know, not just office, but, you know, even police officers and fire firefighters has been difficult. Right. You know, those kind of jobs. So, you know, um, I, I love to have that be a byproduct of all this and, and have the opportunity to continue that 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 message. Of, so you would of representation. Wear, you would see yourself wearing a couple of hats, even though you represent a district. If, if you would be the only Latinx member of that of that council, maybe you have additional obligations, responsibilities, um, you know, both symbolically and, and very practically. Well, it would be the same approach I have in my business and being a member and the board, the vice president of the Napa County Hispanic Chamber. It's, it's about creating a better community for all those involved. Right. So um, we have uh, a number of contested elections coming up. You're talking about the March elections. We have two uh, both of our Latinx supervisors are being challenged. Do you have a view on those races? You know, I have I've been focusing my campaign and the issues in the city. Th- those are going to be um, very important for our community to decide. And just know it's March 3rd is the deadline. 
do your do your work. They're and working hard out there. So you're They're staying working. out of those races. Basically, no I mean, I, I, well, I, want, I don't. I mean, can talking about strategy. I want people to focus on my campaign, right? Not on somebody else's, right. right? I want I want the opportunity to continue to share why I'm running, why I'm I'm the best choice for for Napa for your city council, either in your district or you know, or at large how it was before, but. Um, I I don't want to give away the, the I'm going to be a little selfish in, in that regard because you know I have ideas and I'm, I have the work ethic that I want to implement to right. to put us in a better path. Yeah, these endorsements I, I've noticed since I've lived up here are just so coveted, and uh, of course you know you always have to ask yourself as a practical matter: do they really deliver votes, uh, or does the withdrawal of an endorsement you know really take votes away? <clears throat> so, um, since you're, um, you know, since you're now vying to be a professional politician, I have to ask you nationally, um, how do you, how do you size up the presidential race? You know, uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a Democrat, I'm a registered Democrat and we have to not fall into what happened last time. We have to come together and we have to get behind, uh, the, the, the person that, that, that we elect, mm-hmm. you know, and I try not to bring national politics into it because our community has all kinds of people from all political parts. I have friends that are Republican, that are Green Party, that are Democrats, and I'm not going to treat anybody differently. I'm going to serve everybody the same way um, that they're that they deserve as a member of our community. You right. know, I have people that come in my office that are Republicans. That, that very, very strong with, you know, in their views. And I have the other extreme and I treat everybody equally. Mm-hmm. Everybody gets to speak and, and has respect. And, but my decisions will be based on, you know, my values and what I think is best, but th- I will always listen. And like I said, transparency is very important. An open door is very important to, to, as a leader. And as a leader, you're always learning. Right. So so that's why I like to listen, even if we, we it, it would appear that we have different sides. Mm-hmm. Do you think you'll wind up making a public endorsement in the presidential race? No, I don't know. Uh, I mean, you know, I, haven't, the, I, I actually haven't thought about making a public endorsement. Nobody's it, asked you. No, no. I'm sure it will come come up. Joe Biden uh, hasn't called you personally to ask. you. No, for his. no. <laughs> you know, but it's it's um, it's interesting how how, how they're fighting. Right. Yeah. Their, their values and they're really being competitive. And and that hopefully that, that end of at the end of this, it, it, it brings the best candidate forward. What I you know, uh, since I read so much of this stuff every day, it, it does seem to me that we're now going into this phase where um, people will begin to take Bloomberg pretty seriously. He's you know, making some big waves. He's spending some big bucks, too. And, you know, that may be the only way to beat Trump is with a personal fortune. But um, now you see more of this tension between Bloomberg supporters and Sanders supporters. Um, I don't want to call them Bernie because I don't want to confuse people. But <laughs> which is happening? People <clears throat> text, "Hey, people think you're Bernie." Yeah, Sanders. it's like I got tax, and that's from. I was like, "No, that wasn't me." I'm Napa Bernie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's this is why I'm emphasizing my last name. When I ran last, there was a lot of confusion, and people thought I was doing that because of Bernie, and that's my name since I've. Since I've known, so right, right. you know, he's had it a little longer because he's a bit older. So anyway, well, look, um, I want to wrap it up um, and ask you 
Uh, what can people, where can people go to learn more about you and about your campaign? NapaBernie.com. NapaBernie.com. Not to be confused with that other Bernie. That's right. Okay. Well, that's going to do it for today's program. I want to thank you for joining us here on The Deep Dive. I want to thank my guest, Bernie Narvaez. Thank you so much. And uh, as I've said, we're always happy to hear from you and especially welcome your suggestions on future discussions and possible guests. Send us a note at deepdiveshow at windownmedia.com, on Twitter and Instagram at deepdiveshow, and please like us on Facebook at our page, which is Deep Dive Show. Uh, I appreciate the help I get from Antonio DeWalk and uh, all of our friends here at KVON Napa. I want to thank you very much for joining us on the Deep Dive. I'm Larry Kamer, and we'll see you next time.